There you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Please be seated. We find ourselves this evening looking at this page, the page called or titled here Deuteronomy, a one-page outline of the book that you hold in your lap. As we began this study, we've been looking at the idea of the, the cord or the scarlet thread of redemption that runs from the book of Genesis all the way through those 66 books of the Bible to not only for the Old Testament child of God to assure him God's plan would be fulfilled in the Messiah, but as you and I look back to assure us that God's plan has been fulfilled in the one called the Messiah. Every word. Every word that you and I will read from Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, all the way through the end of the book of Revelation. The entirety of the Bible, every syllable, every letter of it points to Jesus the Christ and the salvation of man. As you and I look in the book of Deuteronomy, some of those key words are remember, obey, and covenant. There's a reason why he's going to use words like remember and obey. The first group of Israelites who, underneath the, uh, the leadership of Moses, made it out of Egyptian captivity, have died. They have all passed from this life into eternity. You remember that uh, wilderness wandering, right? And the only two left from that generation or a couple of guys by the name of Joshua and Caleb. Moses in this book is, I don't want to say retelling, even though that's what the book means, retelling. He's telling the, the uh, law of God to a new generation. These are people who have not been exposed to it yet, and he's going to take the opportunity that God would give him here, and he's going to write this book for them so that they will understand. I got the opportunity, since I made this outline, to figure out which would be the key verse, and I like Deuteronomy 29, 29, although all of them are good. Deuteronomy 29, 29 would tell us that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. You know what that tells me? Even if I were to know and memorize and quote every single verse of that book given to me by God, I still don't know as much as God. It's the only thing I have from God's Word is what He has revealed to me. I don't have His entire thought process. It would, not only would it boggle my mind, it would, it would befuddle me. The key phrase there is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. We're going to see the nation of Israel in this book uh, find themselves on two sides of a, of a nat natural amphitheater as he is uh, retelling this law again. It will, his voice will reverberate up those, up those uh, hills there and everyone will be able to heal, hear pretty easily. And his, his um, 
plea in this retelling of the law is follow what God says. Don't get on the other side of what God would say. It's never going to be a good thing. So as you and I look down through this book, we see that this is the last book of the five that Moses would write by inspiration. As a matter of fact, uh, toward the last portion of this book, Moses writes of his own death. He dies, and the book still continues. That's pretty good, isn't it? I believe Moses wrote of that death uh, a little superficially as he finished out this particular book. That death is coming, and Moses knows it. Moses refers to Israel's past, his present, and its future. And in this book, you'll find about 616 laws. Laws given by God, and 248 of those are thou shalt laws, while 368 of them are thou shalt not laws. They deal with anything from where to use the restroom and where to put your restrooms or what kind of foods to eat or how far to travel here or there on what certain day. This is an interesting book because what we find out in Colossians chapter 2 verses, uh, or verses 14 through 17 is that this book has been completed. You see, when Jesus the Christ would come and be nailed to that cross, that old law would be nailed to it. And if you read on through about verse 17, you'll say not only the law, but the holy days and all of the sacrifices and all of these things and those things and all these other things that would be associated with that old law have found their fulfillment in Jesus the Christ. What a great book this is. How many of you have a pen and paper? I know you have paper. You can flip that piece of paper over. You have a pen? I, I got this one from, uh, from Michael. When he was giving away pens, I stole one of those. Don't tell him that. He'll be upset. I have had a few of you say to me over the couple of years, one, learn how to turn that on, but you have said to me this, can you show me how you study? Get ready. Here we go. We're going to look at these three verses the same way I would look at any section of Scripture, uh, all of those kinds of things, even before we get started. First thing I do was notice what the book in its entirety would be dealing with, and that's uh, what we spent the last few moments doing, noticing how that book relates to the other 65 that are found within uh, the Bible. Because the way it relates tells me a lot about what God is going to tell me through this book. So if I can figure out how it relates to the other 65, I have half the battle won. And then I start with chapter number 4. And I read that. And after I get through reading chapter number 4, then I read chapter number 3, chapter number 4, and chapter number 5. And that gives me an overall view of what chapter number 4 is about. But we're not dealing with Deuteronomy as a book, are we? No. We're not dealing with Deuteronomy as just a chapter, are we? No. We're only dealing with three verses, right? So, after you have all of that groundwork laid, then this is how you begin to study if your mind works similar to mine. There needs to be a note here. I am an auditory learner. 
I am not a visual learner. You know what that means? You guys like what the girls used to call, what movies are we watching today? And I would say to them, we're not watching movies. We're actually doing a PowerPoint for a sermon. You guys like that. You learned that way, right? Do y'all speak English? All right, somebody shake or nod or something. Do y'all, y'all understand the, the Alabama words I'm asking you? You learn by seeing those things, right? I don't learn that way. I learn by hearing auditorily. So I will show you what I do as, as much as possible, as much as a, uh, of a hearing lesson as you can see right here. All right, verse 29. Start right there. But, let's start right there. Here's a transition from one statement to the next. And really, uh, when you read it in its entirety, verses 29, 30, and 31 are giving us a complete overview of God's directive to man throughout the entirety of the Bible. Did you get that? Just by reading those, did you get that? It is an, it is an overview of God's outlook toward us. He starts by saying, but. He's going to transition from something they had been doing negatively. Matter of fact, what we'll find out is, he says, when you get over into the promised land, what you're going to do is start to follow after idols. Now, did they do that? God's pretty smart, isn't he? What you're going to do is you're going to forget about me. Now, did they do that? Well, God's pretty smart, isn't he? And then in verse uh, 29, he says, but. That's a key word found in this verse because what we have is a group of people who find themselves on the outskirts of God's love and affection because of the way they're acting, because of the way they're conducting their lives. God says, I can't be a part of you and your life of sin, but you can be a part of me and my lifestyle if you will change. But, but is a key word right there. So if you write in your Bible, and I have not written in this one on purpose, so what I do is underline but, and really on those kinds of things, I might even circle it so that I know that that's going to be the place where I start in this idea here in verse number 29. But if... You think, well, we're going to be here a long time if we spent that much time on the word but, only to go to the excruciating long word if. God uses frequently the idea of if-then statements when he speaks to us as his children. We use them all the time with our kids, don't we? If you don't stop acting like a knucklehead, then there will be some punishment that you are really not going to be pleased with. If you will keep your mother's car clean, then you can continue to live in my house. We use if-then statements all the time. It's no wonder that God would use those things, same things for us. But if, 
That's the second key word found in this book. But the transition, if, notifying that or signifying that if-then statement. If you'll do this, then. Notice what he wants you to do. If you will seek the Lord thy God, you shall find him. There's your, there's your statement. And let me underline mine while we're here. If you'll seek the Lord your God, or if you seek the Lord thy God, you will find him. The idea there is this. God is not holding himself back in a closet somewhere to avoid mankind. He's not holding himself back as to say, I'm only going to show myself to Joshua or I'm only going to show myself to Caleb or David or Moses. Moses would write, if from thence, from thence you'll seek the Lord thy God, you'll find him everywhere. If you seek him, if you're earnestly looking for him, if you have that as your only desire to find him, now, we make that statement, and we read that, that this particular way for this reason. There are some who, underneath the guise of finding him, don't really want to find him. Or, underneath the guise of finding him, want to find him to put others in their place. That has nothing to do with verse number 29. As a matter of fact, that would be the exact opposite of what Moses would be encouraging here in verse number 29. If you'll seek the Lord your God, you'll find him. And then he gives a qualifier. Notice this next one. If you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. So if you have your pen, mark that one there as we go. All your heart and all your soul. There's a qualifier by which these Israelites uh, that Moses is writing to, and by principle us, or to seek God. Not from any other motive other than this. With all of your heart and with all of your soul. Now you stop and look right here. If you are trying to serve God 50-50, it'll never work. If you're trying to serve God 60-40 or 25-75, it'll never work. If you're trying to serve God 99 and 1, it's not going to work. You will eventually get frustrated. You will eventually leave thinking, if not saying out loud, <clears throat> God's law, God's word lied to me. When in fact, what you did not do was give him everything. That has been the reference point of how God wants me to serve him from the conception of humanity. And it hasn't changed today. If I'm going to serve God, if I'm going to find Him, it's because I'm going to give everything I have, all of my heart and all of my soul to do that, and anything less, I choose hell. You say, well, preacher, that's not in there. 
Oh, yeah. It is. You can cross-reference, and uh, you see the Bible that I have here. This is an old one, and uh, it has a bunch of space on the outside here. I bought this Bible about 17 or 18 years ago because it had a lot of space on the outside where you can write your own notes. Sometimes you guys think I'm just so good, I just have the notes written right there. There you go. We're pulling back the curtain tonight. I just have the notes written down for me. I have written down right here as a cross-reference for this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. And that has nothing to do with serve, uh, seeking God and serving Him, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul would write to that church in Corinth, Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Do you see the correlation? You can't just leave a little bit in there and expect everything to be okay. I can't keep just a little bit back for myself and expect God to save me. Now, what he would say was, you seek me with all of your heart, all of your soul, and you'll find me. So move on to verse 30. The very beginning of this as you and I mark in verse number 30, when thou art in tribulation. Even for the nation of Israel, as they are being retold this law, this principle throughout God's law comes through shining like a mirror. And here it is. Are you ready? When you and I act like the children of God, the children of the devil aren't going to like it. When thou art in tribulation. Don't be confused and think I can make it through this life without tribulation. It would be Paul also in 1 Timothy Chapter 3 and verse number 12, who would write, Yea, and all who live godly. You know what that next word is? Y'all know what that next word is? Shall. Shall suffer persecution. So in verse number 30, I have a cross-reference there to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. When you are in tribulation, because it's coming, you're going to find it no matter where you are unless you get a job like mine where there's no problems or tribulation ever. Isn't that right? She's not looking at me. No, she's shaking her head now. No. The, you, know, you know when I don't have any problem? Two times. One, when I'm asleep and I don't know it yet, it's waiting on me. Or two, when I'm up here by myself before anybody gets here. And then I still got problems I'm just not aware of. Those tribulations, those problems are going to happen because of the world in which we live and the lifestyle that we have chosen. They are diametrically opposed to each other. And it will be God who says, when you are in tribulation, it's coming. 
All right. I forgot one on this one. It's in here, or it will be in just a second. If thou turn to the Lord thy God, and then the word obedient. If thou turn to the Lord thy God, and then the word obedient. All as one particular idea found in this particular verse. When you're in trouble, if you turn to the Lord and shall be obedient to his voice. I know what this is going to sound like, but I'm, I'm going to make this statement. This is the, the most elementary statement I can probably make about this. When we are in trouble, we ought to turn to the Lord. When we are in trouble, we ought to turn to the Lord and we ought to be obedient. And let me tweak this statement just a little bit for a study. Not to change the word, but just for a study. And here it is. When you are in tribulation... Why weren't you close already? Oh, you know, we can, we can look down our historical noses at the nation of Israel and say, man, they, they walked away. They, they just acted like they were uh, just crazy. And never noticed that what we're doing is really looking in a mirror. Why weren't they close? Well, if you and I back up a little bit and we see him saying to them about verse number 25, 26, 27, 28-ish, uh, when you get into those lands, you're going to serve this. When you get into those lands, you're going to do this. You're going to find yourself this way. In verse number 29, he says, but make sure you return. I think this idea is a, a um, tie-in to those two ideas found from about verse 35 or 25 forward. If you'll return to the Lord, if you'll be obedient unto his voice. Did you know that most of my problems and tribulation in my life, you, you won't believe this. Most of my problems happen because of me. Am I the only one? Do most of your problems happen because of me too? <laughs> yeah, I need you to stop shaking your head at that. Fact is, when my problems happen because of me, I also find myself walking away from God. I also find myself with my big boy pants saying, I think I can do this on my own. When the fact of the matter is I cannot. If I'll turn back to the Lord, and if I'll be obedient unto his voice, now notice verse number 31. Here's a parenthetical statement. That's a fancy word for saying a statement in parentheses. Now, what I want you to do is take your thumb and put it over that parentheses. Pretend like it's not there for just a moment. Here's what the verse would say. If thou shalt return to the Lord thy God and be obedient to his voice, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he sware to thee. 
This statement that is in, these, in this parentheses is a statement of emphasis before he says what God will or will not do if I turn back to him. For the Lord thy God is, here's another one to underline if you write in your Bible, a merciful God. Omnipotent, all-knowing, loving, kind, uh, compassionate, merciful, vengeful, mighty. All of those words describe God at least in some aspect, the word used here. The word used here is the word that the nation of Israel, and then you and I in principle, need to understand the most about God when we find ourselves pushed away from Him. Merciful. I have been known to be very hard, right? Now you're not looking at me, okay. I have been known to be very hard at times. Are you afraid? Are you blinking your eyes? Someone help me. That's not, that's not how that works. And in the times where I have been very hard, if I look back with any kind of uh, 2020 vision. What I find myself being is unmerciful. What I find myself being is incompassionate. For the Lord thy God is a God who extends mercy. Why? In reality here with the nation of Israel is because they're turning their backs and following other gods. In principle with the children of God, it's because you and I spit on the very sacrifice of Jesus the Christ when we decide to go our own ways and say, I'm going to do it my way. But yet, there is a merciful, loving, compassionate hand of God Still waiting as long as we have breath in our lungs. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. What's this idea about mercy? It was merciful that he extended to me the gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus the Christ. It's a double portion of mercy that he extends to me the opportunity to come back after I have already accessed the blood of Jesus the Christ. Fairness would have said, you had a shot at it and you blew it. But when you look at mercy from the aspect of the writer named Luke, from Luke chapter 15, you see the father who's waiting on top of his house, waiting for the son to come home. Now, did the nation of Israel need to hear that? Oh, yeah. You know what? So do we. Notice this. 
As I'm writing in my Bible and I'm studying these three verses, the next thing I underline is, he will not, and I circle not right there. I don't know how to do those fancy things. I need a tutorial, Brandy. I don't know how to do those fancy things on, uh, on the PowerPoint. I don't know how to circle not, but I circle those for emphasis. He will not forsake thee. He is not going to be merciful and to see you coming and go, whoa, nope, nope. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God of the Old Testament. That's not the God of the New Testament. By the way, those are the same thing. That God is the same God. Romans chapter 11, verse number 22. He will not forsake thee because of his mercy. Notice this. We skipped over this, this phrase, and, and I didn't underline it, but it really is, in, in this particular book, a, an arrow back to um, turning to and obeying. If I turn to and if I obey, he's not going to destroy. Now take a moment to flip that coin over. What happens if I don't turn back and I don't become obedient? Mm-hmm. Ask the nation of Israel what happens when you go up against a little town like Ai, who you're supposed to just go in there and just whip, and, and you come back with 36 loss with your tail between your legs. Why? Because they weren't obedient. God says, I'm not going to let you prosper when you're not being obedient. He goes on and says, I will not forget the covenant of thy fathers which you swear to them. I'm not going to forget the covenant. I'm not going to forget the promises that I made to you, Israel, if, it all ties back to those two ifs, if you turn, if you repent. What does any of that have to do with me? Well, one, that's a great question. Here's what all this has to do with you. The principles that are found in, in uh, what book are we in? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 29, 30, and 31 are the principles of living a godly Christian life. You didn't think that would be in the book of Deuteronomy, did you? Did you know God expects the same thing from the nation of Israel that He expects from His nation today? He expects them to be faithful to Him and listen and obey what He has to say. This is the same God that they served. is the same God that we serve. Notice uh, as we referenced it, we'll go back to it. Romans chapter 11. Oh, man. Verse number 22. Romans 11, verse 22, Behold the goodness and the severity of God upon them which obeyed goodness upon them that acted like a bunch of heathens, severity. And you say, that's obviously Old Testament. Really? I would like for you to explain uh, Ananias and Sapphira. That's not Old Testament and New Testament. That's God. God writes about himself. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he wants from his children is what he has wanted from the very beginning, from that, that, uh, that Garden of Eden. He wants a relationship. Now, look here and listen, listen to what I'm saying. He wants a relationship with you. 
exclude everybody else out of this room. You. He wants a relationship with you. Here's the problem in that particular relationship. While he is ready and at the, the able to have that relationship, he puts the choice in our hands whether we'll have that relationship or not. You know, one, that's the only way to have that proper relationship. Two, that is the method by which God chose. And three, though that, that idea of me choosing to have that relationship with him cements how good of a God, how mighty of a God he is. While he wants it and while he could make me like a robot do whatever, he said, you're going to have to choose it. You're going to have to want it, and you're going to have to desire it. The method by which that happened in the Old Testament and in the New Testament are different. The method by which that covenant is uh, enacted is different. We don't worry too much about how it was. Now we look at how it is. The way that... Um, Covenant is, is enacted today is through belief, repentance, confession, and baptism. You can be put into a covenant relationship with God. Matter of fact, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says not only would that, that covenant relationship happen, but we would be installed in his family, verse 5, as adopted sons and daughters. to be part of the family of God. But much like that boy in Luke 15, you, God's house is not a prison. He'll let you walk away. Sometimes we don't know how far we've gone away till we begin to look back and to see where God is, only to find there's space, space, and space between. For you who have put on Christ, look back just a moment and see how much space there is between you and God. Because it might be the fact that you need to re return to Him and obey. There doesn't need to be any space between me and God. For you who haven't put on Christ in baptism, what is a better offer than being the Son of God or the daughter of God? you'll find no better deal on this earth or in eternity to come. If you're subject to His invitation, come now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. <laughs>